E4E is brought to you by the University of Delaware Partnership for Public Education. In an effort to increase the availability and accessibility of UD expertise to Delaware's P12 educators, leaders, and policy influencers, we have invited faculty members from the University of Delaware's nine colleges to share their research. We hope you enjoyed today's critical conversation and consider ways you might be able to leverage relevant research and UD expertise to advance policy and transform practice. Hello, my name is Dr. Anastasia Pernton. I'm the Associate Director of the Partnership for Public Education. I'll be the host for today's episode of the E4E podcast, which was produced by Sarah Daniels, a graduate student in the Biden School of Public Policy and Administration. In this episode, we catch up with Dr. Brittany Zakeski, an assistant professor specializing in school psychology in the School of Education at the University of Delaware. Brittany's work focuses on students' mental and behavioral health via multi-tiered systems of supports in schools. She discusses the use of school-wide positive behavioral supports to reduce discipline disproportionality and looks at the importance of equity-focused implementation of interventions. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So Brittany, my first question is, what are school-wide positive behavioral interventions and supports, and how has this framework been implemented in schools? Okay, so school-wide PBIS is one specific application of the multi-tiered systems of support or MTSS framework. And MTSS generally is a service delivery framework that emphasizes the intentional use of data for database decision-making. They use student-facing evidence-based practices for prevention and intervention across academic, social, emotional, and behavioral domains, but also staff-directed systems for supporting high-quality implementation. So across MTSS, we have three tiers of services. We have universal supports for all students at tier one, targeted supports for some students in a setting, those students who are identified as at risk in a particular domain at tier two, and then more intensive or tertiary supports for a few students, those students who are experiencing significant challenges or concerns in a particular domain at tier three. So within MTSS, data are used to identify how different tiers of supports are working, for whom they're working, that is whether the system is equitable, but also who needs more support in the school, such as who should move to a different tier of support within MTSS. Before the term MTSS was created, this type of service delivery framework was typically going by one of two different sets of names. The first was response to intervention, RTI, or response to instruction intervention, RTII. These labels were used to describe frameworks that were focused on allocating supports for academic needs. Then the second category was PBIS and school-wide PBIS, and these labels were used to describe frameworks in which services are allocated for social, emotional, and behavioral needs. Both of these framework labels, RTI and school-wide PBIS, were really rooted and influenced by public health service delivery frameworks. The term MTSS is used more often these days. In Delaware regs, MTSS must be used to support academic skills across content areas, but also behavioral and social-emotional skills. School-wide PBIS within this MTSS framework is a system of supports for student behavior. This system is coordinated through ideally multidisciplinary teams in schools 
that are focused on providing supports for students who need different levels of support. Oftentimes, we'll have a tier one team that is focused on universal supports for all students in the school, supporting every student's behavior and social-emotional skill development. Now, at that tier one level, we see several categories of core practices that are commonly associated with school-wide PBIS. These are like the categories of practice, but these are not necessarily prescriptive models of practice or intervention. So that first category is defining school-wide expectations for the behavior of all school community members. So students as well as faculty and staff in the school. This expectation development process should really be driven and informed by the values and preferences and beliefs of all school community members, including families and including broader community members, not just staff and not just those staff who are sitting on the PBIS leadership team. The second category of practice, which is really the cornerstone of school-wide PBIS, is clearly and explicitly teaching the school-wide expectations for behavior. So once you've defined them, you want to teach them really effectively like you would academic skills, directly and explicitly with opportunities for modeling and practice, and with grace and support provided to students in learning those behaviors. The third category of practice is positively acknowledging expected behavior to reinforce those social emotional behavioral skills that are being taught. Now, this can include things like handing out tickets and tokens to students, but what's really most important within PBIS is that generally we're seeing positive and supportive interactions between students and staff, and we're seeing structured systems for staff to acknowledge students in unbiased, systematic ways. The fourth category of practice is providing instructional and restorative follow-up supports or corrections or commonly consequences for unexpected or concerning behavior that we see. So PBIS is a positive behavior support approach, which means that practices that are shameful, coercive, or otherwise unnecessarily punitive are really not advised. Instead, we want to see these corrective practices linked to the specific reason the behavior of concern occurred in the first place. And we especially want to see corrective practices that teach students new skills, such as new problem solving, coping, or relational skills. Finally, that fifth category of practice within Tier 1 PBIS is using data intentionally and systematically to make decisions. So schools collect a lot of data across time, including a lot of behavioral data, and we want to make sure that we're using those data and making decisions based off those data. Thank you so much, Brittany. I think that was a really thorough and helpful definition. I'm wondering, how does the use of SWPBIS attempt to address discipline disproportionality? So this is a little tricky to conceptualize because school-wide PBIS is an implementation framework. So it provides guidance on how to design and use practices to address disproportionality, but it does not provide a cookie-cutter formula or model of practices to use. 
So because of this, any given school buildings or district's effectiveness at addressing discipline disproportionality through school-wide PBIS will vary based on how it interprets the framework and how it actually implements school-wide PBIS. This includes how it uses data, how it provides supports for students, as well as how it provides supports for personnel. Generally speaking, though, we can consider two different pathways for how school-wide PBIS can address discipline disproportionality. And those pathways include one way for supporting students and one way for supporting the adult implementers. So for students, high-quality school-wide PBIS implementation could reduce ambiguity in behavioral expectations. And it could also increase students' access to explicit behavioral teaching, as well as more systematic and equitable acknowledgments from school staff, both of which are likely to contribute to students displaying more pro-social and accepted behavior in the school setting. For staff, we can consider how high-quality school-wide implementation could reduce ambiguity in behavioral expectations, in disciplinary decision-making, increase staff's access to collected data so that they're using the data to more to make decisions, as well as provide staff with more supports and tools for engaging in positive interactions, for using instructional restorative correction procedures, as opposed to more punitive and exclusionary procedures, as well as provide staff with supports and tools for using a structured, non-biased disciplinary decision-making process. All in all, what we consider is that the school-wide PBIS framework, when implemented in a very intentional way, could level the playing field for students, really neutralizing implicit biases and emotional reactions that might be impacting school staff's interactions and decisions in the school. What did the results of your study on discipline disproportionality and SWPBIS implementation in urban schools say about the risk for office-based discipline referrals based on gender, grade, race, and IEP status? Yeah, so this study you introduced examined three years of office discipline referrals in a sample of about 15,000 K-8 students and 27 schools from one of the largest school districts in the country. And we looked at whether and if so, how office discipline referral disproportionality changed as schools began implementing tier one school-wide PBIS. We also looked at whether schools implementation fidelity measured via a tool called the benchmarks of equality predicted disproportionality in those ODRs. And one thing that I do want to note, too, is that we had some limited sample issues, especially regarding racial disproportionality, because most of the schools in our sample had racially homogenous student populations. For example, schools generally served almost all Black African-American students or almost all Latin Hispanic students. So it was therefore difficult and sometimes impossible to look at racial disproportionality in all of our sample schools. So because of this, we looked at disproportionality with a small subsample of schools that had at least 10 white students enrolled in their school at each time point. Overall, though, we found that at baseline, 
or before schools were implementing PBIS with fidelity, students were at higher risk of receiving those office discipline referrals if they identified as Black or African-American, as Latin or Hispanic, or as male, but also if they were enrolled in the upper three grades of their school building. Contrary to prior research, though, we found that students with individualized education programs, or IEPs, had similar risk levels for those office discipline referrals compared to students without IEPs. We were most interested, though, in seeing how these levels of risk might change, if at all, across the years of PBIS implementation. So we focused on that last time point in each school's trajectory. And unfortunately, what we found was that these risk levels persisted throughout school-wide PBIS implementation, meaning they did not necessarily change in a statistically or clinically significant way across the PBIS implementation. We also found that the implementation fidelity level assessed through that tool called the benchmarks of quality was not associated with decreased disproportionality. So we did not necessarily see any correlational or descriptive evidence for schools' increased fidelity of school-wide PBIS implementation, making a noticeable difference in their disproportionality according to race, ethnicity, gender, grade, or IEP status. So I'm interested in the opportunities for growth that you identified with SWPBIS practices in terms of reducing discipline disproportionality. Great. And in answering this, I think it's helpful to provide a little bit of context around the study and our motivation for conducting the study. So right before we started these data analyses, the school district we were working with had just begun rolling out professional development and team-based technical assistance on the topic of centering culturally responsive practice and culturally responsible database decision-making within the school-wide PBIS framework. So we wanted to evaluate the extent to which the school-wide PBIS efforts prior to this focus had had any type of impact on equity efforts within the district. And unfortunately, as I just described, we found the answer to be generally no, at least not based on the data we had and the measurement and modeling approach that we took. So what this study really emphasizes to me is the importance of implementation quality and how we really need to be assessing and centering equity as a part of our school-wide PBIS efforts. So this study does not necessarily suggest that the school-wide PBIS implementation framework should be changed or that the implementation framework does not have potential to address disproportionality. It really suggests to me that the potential was not realized prior to these culturally responsive training and coaching efforts in the school district. And by extension, it's probably not being realized in many schools across the nation that are currently implementing school-wide PBIS, unless more specific steps are taken in really centering equity within all behavioral system support initiatives within a school. Another thing I will mention is that the fidelity tool that we used in this study, the benchmarks of quality, was the fidelity tool of choice during the implementation period of the study, 
but is now used much less frequently in schools. And there are actually different measures that include a much greater focus on culturally responsive practices. And these tools may provide much richer information and feedback to PBIS teams regarding how they are or are not engaging in that culturally responsive practice and culturally responsible database decision-making. So a specific area of growth for many schools implementing school-wide PBIS is to ensure that they are using fidelity assessment tools that are aligned with these cultural responsiveness indicators that we know are really good predictors of disproportionality. So one specific example is called the TFI or the Tiered Fidelity Inventory. The TFI has a cultural responsiveness companion which elaborates upon different inventory items to highlight and illustrate for teams how more precisely using examples and non-examples, the implementation of that specific practice might align or misalign with the cultural responsive approach. Brittany, I'm wondering if you can help us understand how equity-focused and culturally responsive implementation of SWPBIS practices can reduce discipline disproportionality. What does this look like? There are a number of different things we can focus on or examples we can discuss, but I'll share a few main takeaways in the categories of teaming at the school-based PBIS leadership team level, practices for supporting students, systems for supporting staff, and then data for equitable decision-making. So in terms of teaming, we wanna make sure that the composition and the operating procedures of the PBIS leadership team are really designed in such a way that voice is given to all affected parties in the school community and all groups that are requiring representation within the school community. With regards to practices for supporting students, each of those five core categories of tier one practices I mentioned earlier can really be implemented in ways that vary on a far ranging spectrum of least to most culturally responsible and responsive. So for example, setting and defining expectations for the school community without getting the input of the broader school community is a huge misstep. So students, families, community members, and even cultural brokers at times might be included in both selecting those expectations, choosing the ones that are of greatest value and importance within the setting, also defining more precisely what behaviors align and misalign with that expectation, considering, for example, different cultural display norms and different ways of understanding the situational appropriateness of behaviors. In some cases too, we might see that expectations and values are selected that are cognates or at least good translators into different languages spoken within the school community. Additionally, we can think about those teaching, acknowledgement, and corrective core practice categories and how they should really be designed and delivered in a way that is socially acceptable to the school community, as well as contextually appropriate for the setting and the population. So for example, learning more about the ways students prefer to be praised, prefer to be redirected and supported, 
prefer to be supported during escalated incidents, these can all lead to much more inclusive and encouraging environments. In thinking about how we can support staff within school-wide PBIS, it's really important to nurture buy-in as well as a diversity-minded orientation. So there's a lot of important work out there that looks at shifting educators' mindsets, ensuring they're really focusing on compassion over compliance, and that they're reflecting on their own biases, many of which are probably implicit, that may be affecting their day-to-day -day interactions with students. Kent McIntosh and his colleagues do some really important work on neutralizing what they call vulnerable decision points or assisting folks with recognizing when their judgment and decision-making processes may be running hot rather than calm, collected, and rational, and then taking measures to regain regulation and regain rationality. Because working with staff beliefs and mindsets is critical, this can't just be focused on individual staff, but also focused on the broader school climate and how staff are interacting with one another and how they're supported by their administrators. But beliefs and mindsets only produce positive outcomes for students when those beliefs and mindsets also translate into some type of observable difference in staff behavior, whether it's changing how staff interact with students, how staff are using specific practices or the fidelity with which they're implementing those practices. We also want to make sure that any professional development trainings that we're providing staff are also followed up with coaching and other types of implementation support. So translating those gains in knowledge from training into changes in beliefs and to changes in impactful differences in students' environments. But of course, transcending supports for both students and staff, though, is database decision-making. So we want our Tier 1 teams to be using data regularly, intentionally, and with a specific focus on equity. We want to see Tier 1 teams disaggregating data, examining outcomes by student subgroups, and we also want to see the team and the broader school take responsibility for the outcomes of all students in the school, rather than explaining student circumstances as being beyond the control of the school setting. We want to see the focus on the functioning of the system, of the school environment as a whole, and the need for system improvements before we are looking at individuals through a deficit-focused approach and looking at the need for individual intervention. We really want to see consideration to how the system is or is not supporting all students. So on the E4E podcast, we always like to think about the implications of our conversation on Delaware schools. So what do you think the implications of your findings on SWPBIS are for Delaware schools, educators, students, and families? So it's important for Delaware residents to recognize that MTSS, the general implementation framework, is required to be implemented for all schools and is required to be implemented for behavioral outcomes. 
So in some way, there is some form of school-wide PBIS that should be happening in every Delaware school. Within that, we need to recognize that as an implementation framework, school-wide PBIS provides guidance regarding the types of practices to adopt and how to implement them. It holds potential to guide efforts to reduce disproportionality and to promote more equitable outcomes. But we know that the quality and focus of PBIS implementation matters quite a bit. And this is where our school administrators and our school-wide PBIS leadership teams really come in. We want to really advocate and support our PBIS teams in centering equity within their MTSS and PBIS frameworks. We want to see cultural responsiveness emphasized in all implementation efforts, and that can take different shapes and forms. But for Delaware schools that are interested in pursuing this further, I'd recommend that you contact your district MTSS coach to learn more about how that tiered fidelity inventory cultural responsiveness companion might support your team's action planning for the upcoming year. It could serve as a good fidelity assessment that if you're not already using one, and it could provide you specific points of intervention for developing your action plan, uh, one that centers equity within your efforts. And for Delaware educators, students, and families, if you're not already familiar, I'd really encourage you to review your school's resources or even contact your school to learn more about how behavior supports are integrated within your school's MTSS framework. Again, using the term MTSS might be more helpful or might resonate better than using the term school-wide PBIS, but you might be interested in learning more about your school's MTSS team, how you can get involved, how you can share your input, or other ways of further advocating for equitable efforts for all students in your school. Brittany, thank you so much for having this conversation with us. Before we end this podcast, I'd like to ask, are there any resources that you can direct our listeners to? Absolutely. So the Delaware Department of Education and the Center for Disability Studies at the University of Delaware have put together some fantastic technical assistance resources, online training videos, as well as toolkits and resource guides that relate to MTSS and specifically promoting social, emotional, and behavioral wellness through MTSS consistent with the PBIS framework. So going to the Delaware Department of Ed website, searching MTSS or visiting the Center for Disability Studies website are all fantastic starting points for accessing relevant resources. Awesome. And we'll definitely have those linked below in the description. Again, thank you so much for joining us today on the E4E podcast. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this episode of E4E brought to you by the University of Delaware Partnership for Public Education. For more information about the work being done by the Partnership for Public Education, please visit our website at www.udel.edu ppe.